We are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have a very special guest from the UK. His name is Hippolyte Integer Irwa. So he has a long kind of complex name. He's from Africa, from Rwanda. And he published a book in 2021. Title of the book is A Boy Called Hippo. And it's a memoir about his very interesting and very sad early life in what's known maybe in the West as the Rwandan genocide, which happened in 1994. Um, He is an artist, activist, and founder of Be the Peace, an organization focusing on the use of art to halt the intergenerational transmission of hate and to promote the power of cross-generational healing. He's a child survivor, like I said, of the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi and Hippolyte continues to promote reconciliation and peace throughout Rwanda or Rwanda. In 2019, he envisioned and conducted the Be the Peace Walk, a 100-day walk performance piece in which he walked across the country in commemoration of 25 years since the end of the genocide. Hippolyte is an alumnus of the Yale World Fellows Program and a 2021 research fellow at Shell Center for International Human Rights at Yale University. Hippolyte was an international artist in residence with Arts Connect International in Boston in 2016. Since then, he has worked as arts program manager for the British Council in Rwanda, focusing on disability rights and societal inclusion until August 2020. He is a peace ambassador for One Young World, Peace Scholar, and his work has been covered by global media, including BBC, NPR, SABC, and Dutchwell. And again, the title of the book we're going to talk about today is A Boy Called Hippo. The full title is A Boy Called Hippo, Genocide Against the Tutsi in Rwanda. It's actually one part one of two two different books, I think, uh, autobiographical books talking about this terrible event. So I would just give a fair warning to listeners out there. Um, there may be some very uncomfortable or disturbing uh, stories or subject matter. So I wouldn't recommend uh, having young children in the background uh, listening to some of the stuff. So Hippolyte. Into Guru Guru, welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Thank you very much, William. Um, awesome. For people, I mean, some people don't know the background. You're from Rwanda. It's really in the center of Africa. Maybe it's a little vague for people. Can you kind of set this the background of this horrible event and kind of talk about your early life? And I mean, you've come a long way, all the way, all the way to the U.S. Actually, in part, can you kind of talk about the beginning? Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me, William. Um, well, it's a it's a <laughs> a huge historical uh, kind of time now as we commemorate the genocide against the Tutsi for the twenty eighth anniversary, starting in um, two weeks. So, what Rwanda, as people may know, is is in 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 Africa, and it's one of the East African community countries, which is a uh, uh, in between uh, Tanzania, Burundi, Congo, and Uganda. Uh, so Tanzania in the east, Uganda in the north, and Congo, Republic of, Democratic Republic of Congo in the west, and in the south we have Burundi. It's a very beautiful country, green and hilly, mountainous if you want to say. And I was born in southwest of the country, which is uh, very close to the border. If you walk probably less than an hour, you'll be you can go um, into Congo or in Burundi. So it's very down and close to the borders of two countries. 
and of three countries, Burundi, Congo, and Rwanda. I, I, I was born there. I mean, they, um, uh, this is 34 years ago. And uh, I grew up in a family of um, seven. I was the youngest. And um, it was, it was, I was in a, in a modest family. We didn't have, um, my parents didn't, were not kind of like professional, didn't have jobs or anything kind of uh, because of their education or anything. They was, it, we, we would say we were a poor family. Yes, um, that's when I was born. And um, yeah, that's where I grew up. And, and it was called, the name was Gasharo. So people could look that up on Google Maps. So it's the <laughs> Southwest. And, and Rwanda is not comparatively maybe to other nations. It's not geographically super large, maybe 150 miles by 150 miles generally. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a very small country. Um, I think it is 26, um, 26,000, 28, 26,000 uh, square kilometers in total. Well, I walked across it in, in 101 days. So it's, uh, yeah, it's not a huge country. And so you grew up kind of your parent, your dad was a worker in some of the farms and it was, I mean, here in the West, we over, we have too much food. And for your family, it was kind of the opposite, right? Yeah, it was uh, the opposite. And if, if people, I mean, I know what, what, what getting hungry means, whether it, 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 as when I was a kid or when um, uh, I grew up, I mean, growing up, I knew that food is not a, you know, food is not a guarantee. Uh, sometimes you go nights um, without eating and, you know, I, I, I knew that food is something pre precious and that we couldn't find it easily. I mean, because um, like I said, my dad uh, only survived, we, we only worked in a, for other people who are not even <laughs> rich, if you would say, or wealthy, if you would say, because it was rural, even today, the the very same village I was born, this is 2022, even that area, we don't have electricity in that area. So it's, it's, it's a very, very poor and rural area, poor in terms of worth money and resources, but people there are many and, and very culturally rich area, influenced by the Burundian culture and Congolese culture and Rwandan culture. <laughs> so yeah, um, the food was big, one of the big uh, problems. I was actually reading a story about about people dying in Somalia, which is another East African community, which is another East African country, how the hunger is killing people there. And it reminds everything, every time when I see something of 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 hunger or anything it, it really reflects my life when i in the early child uh, childhood of mine right so you were kind of the rural part like you weren't really even familiar with some of the bigger cities i think kigali is the main city but you kind of got a sense even as a young boy that there was some rumblings uh, some hostility can you kind of maybe the westerners or the people in the states don't know as much about the Hutu, Tutsi, 
um, conflict before 1994? Maybe, I mean, you didn't yeah. conceive of that, right, as a, as a young yeah. child. No, no, I didn't know, because, uh, uh, um, uh, but my sisters, my dad, they faced, my, they, they faced um, the hostility and violence leading up to 1994. Um, but the, the, the little bit about the story in the background, the political power, um, the political power struggle, uh, beginning in 1959, when when there was a, a struggle for independence or movement for independence. That's when things. I mean, that's when the violence started, but that's not exactly when the problems of Hutu and Tutsi, um, I would say, began because um, it goes back into the the colonial colonial time when these two groups, which were, um, when you read in literature, they say the, it, the, these two categories were social categories rather than ethnic or racial groups. So when they started recategorizing and putting them in identities as a way of um, kind of dividing to rule or divide and rule kind of way, the political system by colonialist. That's when it started becoming official and it became, it, it was firstly defined as ethnic or racial uh, identity in 1930s, 1932. But then, you know, in 1959, when they say revolution of Hutu, um, um, that's when the problems began, when the, the Hutu wanted to be on power. Before then, it was indirect rule by the Belgians through the Tutsi kings. So in 1959, that's when the things became really bad and the Hutu uh, took power until um, 1994. So that's when that's the, the problems, when I grew up, when I was born in 1987, of course, I was a I was a kid, uh, but uh, and the genocide started when I was seven, and but then, I, close to the genocide, that's when I started kind of, seeing, something was wrong, something was wrong somewhere because, uh, there were threats to my family. There were one day you could see. I mean, we were sitting in the house, and then we could we we heard. Um, Someone, someone throwing stones on our on our house, and it wasn't only our family; it was many Tutsi families in the area. And I could see something was wrong, and, and something was going on. But where they protected us, they didn't tell us what was going on. But you know, I knew later on that it was Hutu. Um, it was the violence starting that time. Violence was gearing up. And you, I kind of got the sense from the book, like everybody had to ask questions. Are you a Hutu or, or a Tutsi? Like they, it wasn't obvious. Like everybody had these designations and it seemed like, well, you got to find out who this guy is. We got to <laughs> ask him who that is. is. Do you find that to be the case before 1994? Yeah, that, that was immediate because in schools, you, I mean, people can read um, it's, 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 they are these are facts out there it, before you know students were, were everyone had to register under their whatever the so-called ethnic group and you were ought to take your father's 
um, your father's ethnic identity, regardless of your mother's ethnic identity. And you- so pat Patrilineal, right? So it was patrilineal. Yes, it was, yeah. And basically in 1932, and in, in the process of uh, uh, making these categories as ethnic and racial identities, that's when, um, so people had to take identity cards. And these identity cards are the ones that in the genocide were used, and in some cases, if you didn't have identity cards and you were uh, you were arrested by these uh, by the by the killers, sometimes your your physical appearance, whether you're tall, um, with your noses, and, and they they could kind of guess who you are by looking at you. And some of the people, it, I mean, this is things I'm doing research on. They, some of the people were were mistakenly uh, killed or were mistakenly rebelled as Tutsi because of their height, because of their physical appearance. And it, it's all in all racial, racist identification of people, depending on, you know, whatever is classified as Hutu and Tutsi. So that's that was what was happening. But in it, it has to be noted that even before, for the genocide, because the genocide didn't just happen. They, they were lists of names of people in uh, workplaces, in, in, in villages, local authorities, which was mainly Hutu, had the list of families and, and, and people who are under Tutsi ethnic groups. Uh, in my book, I talk about how when we were when we were hiding, the killers could come. When I, we were hiding, killers could come and read the names. They 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 had the list of people, and they could think, they could tick. Oh, this one is is killed. This one is not. So they had the list of people who needed to be killed, and it has to be noted that they, you know they, they, they the people who were killing they were not from another country. They were not from other villages. It, they were from the same neighborhood. They knew who was Hutu, who was Tutsi. Wow. So like you grew up with some of these people, the victims and the killers. And I got the sense too that the the information that came to Gasharo wasn't you didn't get fully complete like the buildup. You got you tried to get a radio or something, but it wasn't like the informational you know, intensity of what we have today in 2022. So you may not have known the totality of what was what was building up, right? Did you get that sense? No, yeah, no, no, you, you couldn't know. The only people, like my siblings who were in class, they were they were in school. They were, uh, like my sister was, was not, my sisters were not allowed to go in high school in secondary school because they were Tutsis. And, and they knew in schools, they knew that, like, but there was no social media. There was no TV showing. There were no, so only information were just sent or where the communications were mouth to mouth, person to persons. And they were internal in kind of uh, internally communicated through the political people, the local leaders. It was systemat systematically communicated because this wasn't anything to to brag about. I mean, in some cases they bragged about it, but 
these were things that the, 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 the killing and the genocide plan was kind of secretly communicated to the people who needed to put the plan in, in, in action. Right. And like there were people were digging trenches, like the preparation took place and it was a, it was a plane crash, like a piece. I think it was the president or something is really what started everything. Right. Is that right? Yeah, so um, there were there were tensions going on, and the, 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 there were political processes going on because we had uh, thousands. <clears throat> don't remember how many, but there were hundreds of thousands of people, uh, or dozens of thousands of, of Tutsi who fled since nineteen, uh, who have been flying, who who have been fleeing the country because of violence against the Tutsi that was taking place. So there, there was. There were peace processes of uh, having these uh, Tutsi who have been fleeing the country coming back in in, in the community. It was there was a political process going on for peace, but there, there are speeches that talk about how uh, people in political positions were uh, were saying they want to prepare apocalypse. They the army chief of staff in Rwanda, nineteen ninety three, saying. Um, that he was preparing um, uh, a, a, a plan that Tutsi would not survive. So they, they, that's a, on political level. In the community level, the people knew how to knew that something was to happen and the killing were to happen. And as a kid, you only, you know, you are joking with kids and going here, going there, but like I talk about in the work I'm doing now, the the generations, the parents and things, they, they, they talked to their kid. I mean, my as I was a very young, my sisters and my parents knew and my cousins, they knew what was going on because they 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 communicated, they went to school, they knew. So in the community community level, things were were kind of really in a very um how can i say it but it, it wasn't totally in the open air because i couldn't imagine seeing the people who were called hutu coming into my family when we had beer and when my dad could have beer which is a very typical cultural sharing um behavior in rwanda if you had a banana beer everyone in the, in in the village could pass by and say hi and you get a glass of of banana beer and then but all these people some of some of them many of them are the ones who came later to seek to hunters to kill us it's it's so saying yes the plane crash shooting down the plane on the 6th of april 1994 of the president that was the official beginning of killings, but uh, I wouldn't say that's the cause, no. Right. So it was kind of like building up. So there was some kind of tension. And if I remember, I saw a documentary. There was a lot of really vicious stuff being put out on the radio. And mm -hmm. uh, looking back, that's kind of was this heavy propaganda that you know, was in making people much more angry. And uh, and then when it started, it was, it just turned into a nightmare, right? 
Yes. So the president, uh, the 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 president, the president's plane is shot down, and in few hours, people Tutsi um, are, you know, the killing start. What 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 is that? I mean, you can't say it's it's hard that to say that that was because so it was building up. It was a plan. It was a big. Um, it, it was a big political plan to cleanse the, the ethnic Tutsi uh, people. And so when it started, it, it, it is what you know. I mean, people, it was actually a very bad situation because Tutsi knew that they have to hide. Tutsi knew that they have to take refuge as if they were not the same population, same 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 uh, citizens as the others. So uh, it was really very hostile. And as a, as a child, I could I started realizing that uh, it, people I knew as people I met on the road every day, going uh, going to as a shepherd of goats and as a as a as a kid going to school. The people I knew were not the same people I saw trying to kill us. It was definitely another different, different way of looking at the humans. Yeah, something really changed. And there were like kill teams with machete, machetes and hammers and really yeah. like no guns going from house to house, right? So it was Yeah. It was, they, they were trying to they used because in my rural, my rural village, Gasharu, and again, for the people who want to know, it's, it, that area is known for its Catholic uh, parish called Nibirizi. And in that area, really, there's no, um, it wasn't, it, still today, it's not a very developed area, village in Gasharu. But um, people used anything that could be used, like they, they had, Machetes. They had long knives. They had spears, and they had uh, clubs. Clubs that were made before. The clubs were not made at that moment. Clubs were made before and kept, and they had clubs with with nails on them to be even more dangerous. And you know, these are the things you see in genocide memorials in Rwanda. So. And and they were going house to house, burning houses. My, our house was burnt down in the genocide. Luckily, we were not in there. Um, I saw many people I knew, my 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 um, relatives, my friends, people I knew in the in the village. I saw their their dead bodies. I, I was sometimes I was hiding. I was hiding under their bodies, and it—it it, honestly, the eyes that saw those things. I wish no, 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 no child will see that again. But unfortunately, things like those are still happening around the world, and which is what makes me even more frustrated when I wake up. Yeah, and you, I think you write in your book, like, those memories don't go away. Like, you remember certain things. I mean, I would say PTSD or something after. I mean, it was a nightmare. Like, I remember seeing the videos of the of the rivers were full of 
people who'd passed away. And it was just chaos. It, there was just no law. And horrible things happened to people. There were women were abused and uh, people died. And I mean, you, it, it, there was that bonfire scene you, you talk about that, uh, you know, some of that stuff didn't make it out into, at least in my understanding, out into other medias. Can you kind of talk about some of the, the, the ugly uh, situations that you survived? Yeah. Um, yeah. The, again, honestly, the, the, when, when we talk about things like genocide, sometimes, you know, I live in the West. I've, um, I've lived in different countries. I visited different countries. And sometimes we talk about these crimes as, 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 as just we hear them, but when you leave, in, a, in, in places as a kid, I was hiding. Um, we spent nights in, 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 in the bushes. I, um, sometimes I, I, I had to hide in mass graves because it was only place where probably they could not look. You talked about the rivers. There was times where I could only the only water I could drink was water, the river, in which blood and bodies, I could just push the blood kind of wet and then drink the mixture of water and, and blood. And, you know, I, seeing people being killed in front of me, waiting to be killed every second, knowing that I could die, seeing some of my relatives and women being raped in their voices and sometimes in the churches and in the, in the church where I went to hide one um, during the genocide. It <clears throat> right, so I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it was a terrible situation and it didn't happen over like one day. It, it was a rolling genocide until I think it was Paul Kagame a, a Tutsi from kind of other countries moved back in so there was there was a kind of a civil war as well as the genocide right yeah thanks so so, so yeah there was so like I said when because they were the the the, the government that was in place then was trying to so the was was getting into was pressured to let people to let Tutsi who fled country the country uh, since nineteen fifty nine come back to Rwanda as because you know they were they, thousands of of Tutsi were outside in Burundi in the south in Uganda and they created a political party and that political party in Uganda. Uh, that was the headquarter of the political party of the Tutsi who fled the country because of the violence. They started, uh, they, you know, they, because they 59 until uh, 86, that's when they, they, I think 80, mid 80s, that's when they started having, um, they started having the conversations in the party and they went in media and they started asking the government to let the to let the 
Tutsi refugee come back in the country. So the process went on since 1987, uh, 87 until 19, you know, it was going on. So the political process to let the refugee come, uh, refugees come back was going on. But the political party, they also had a military wing. And that military wing, actually, they were trained in Uganda because there was in Uganda in the north, there was a process of Museven, the current president of, of Uganda, was uh, in it was a was was a was in struggle of overthrowing the government and he was a label uh in at that time so they were trained in that <clears throat> most of them sorry most of them were trained in uh, Uga in Museveni's army so that gave them the advantage of having the military wing so 1990 they invaded because the government of Rwanda was not allowing the them to come back in, and share the power. So when 1994 uh, President um, President Plains was shot, shot down, then they started the genocide. The, this military wing, which was already occupying some parts of the northern of Rwanda since 1990, they advanced to, so there was genocide going on and there was a military fight between the government soldiers the, gov the, uh, the government army and the R the the rpa which is a tutsi uh, which was the the army formed by the by the tutsi in 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 in, in refuge in exile so they right. came back so that was what what is what was happening <laughs> sometimes people don't get it but yes there was a genocide going on and then they the the um, the military wing of the Tutsi political party in it was also advancing to overthrow the government and stop the genocide. So it was kind of two things happening at one time. Right. So it's a very complex kind of ugly situation, and it kind of reversed because I think that army, the Tutsi army, came back in, and then the Hutu moved to the Congo and neighboring countries. Right. So. Yeah. There's just this terrible genocide. Half a million to a million people were murdered. And then you kind of, I think you write in your book, you admire, you wanted to become one of these. So, I mean, you were young, but you admired these soldiers, right? They gave you some sense of stability. Can you talk about that? Yes, because so, so, you know, the, the genocide was, was going on for three months. I happened to be in a refugee camp in a camp called Nyarushishi, which is in former Tiangugu, which is, again, uh, and people who know the area can or can check online or people who are listening know the area. They can they know where I'm talking about. So in Rwanda, the, 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 because of the media, they dehumanized and characterized the uh, the soldiers, the Tutsi soldiers, as bad, as cockroaches, as uh, people who do who do not have mercy, people who are not human, and they, the time they started seeing that the government army is actually uh, not strong to protect to, to 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 protect the country, they or they started the propaganda of telling every citizen that. The Tutsi army will kill everyone who will be Hutu. So what happened is every 
most of the families, most of the family Hutus, children, women, even those who have not participated in genocide, were fled the country with those, of course, with those who have done the genocide, they fled to Congo, more than two million people. I, so then they rescued us, they took over the country. <clears throat> this, uh, they took over the country. When they took over Rwanda, this RPA, so Rwanda Patriotic Army, which was of the Tutsi political party, formed in exile, they took over the country and they were the ones who to, to stop the genocide and rescued us and my, and, and I was among the people they rescued in south of Rwanda, south, southwest of Rwanda, in that refugee camp. So we had to go back and they tried to put back the country in the normality. But when I grew up, you know, because of things I've seen, my dad was already killed, and all the anger of things I've seen, I wanted to become a killer. I wanted to do revenge because there wasn't, I couldn't see any future where I could not really take an action against these people. And this is what I talk about my, in my book. Whatever we're doing to young people, whatever we're giving to young people, that's what we will see in next next future so whatever we're giving so my frustration was there i couldn't i couldn't see any other future i thought i could become a killer and do revenge because i knew i've seen people in my village doing that and that's that's what i was aspiring to um luckily things changed when i was going on in the schools i could see that you know, I was wondering, I had so many questions of what peace would look like and what it is that I was looking for. I thought becoming a killer could give me a sense of peace that I was looking for. But then as I was learning, I, I became aware that, you know, what we see is what we, we, we harvest. And I changed Right. And you, I mean, it was you went back to this place where this these horrors happened and there's your house that been burned down. But after that, like the military's there, there are these Gakaka courts. Can you talk about this kind of uh, quest for justice? Uh, yeah, the Gachacha courts. I mean, I the, the, this is this is 19 um, and 2000. I mean, after 2000, 2003 ongoing, it was. Um, they, 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 because there were so many uh, dozens of thousands, even probably, I don't remember the number of people who were to be tried. And I used to go there looking at people who I saw trying to kill us, killing people, who I saw killing um, my, my relatives being there. And I was like, how is it possible? So I used to go there. But the, pro, the, the, the good thing is their, their children were my, my friends. We, whatever we did, we were, we were we, I was going to school with, with their children. So as children, we were fine. But seeing the parents and, 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 and seeing these people, it, it was constant question of, and seeing people confessing, seeing people saying, oh, we did this, we killed this people that, that we killed, they naming people, dozens of people that they killed. I, 
it was frustrating and those images never go away like you say they come and i dream about them even today they're, they're, they're nightmares so those questions were coming you know when you were a teenager you're looking for you have i had energy i was trying to say what can i do dreaming about the future and i saw that the only way for me to educate because my point was to educate the people i was constantly looking for peace and when i started imagining what killing would be if I killed, if I grew up and killed somebody's parent, then I could be, they, those people would be in my place. And I said, you know what? I need to forgive them. I made a decision. I've forgiven them. I went in my family. We invited some of the people we knew who, uh, and we said, we forgive you. And then they went back. And, you know, we, we I started the journey of using the art uh, poems and songs and, and 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 now you know as an artist today i that was kind of my refuge by then uh, since then and i started teaching and i uh, i said look it will be my job to make sure that no one no child will experience what i experienced as much as i can and that's 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 since 19 i, I was a teenager when i started feeling that way and yeah it has become my life dedication right yeah that's outstanding and you kind of education was it seemed to me reading through your book it was kind of a salvation for you was that would you agree with that it's kind of was a kind of a way out of that past would you agree with that yeah i would say uh education because when i when i couldn't have when i was able to see um when I was able to be helped by a Congolese medical doctor to continue my studies, there was time where uh, I could not find uh, transportation to go to school. The Congolese medical doctor, um, God bless him, he helped me to go back to school. And that was one of the moments of, of, of my salvation. So kindness of people, even today, when you are kind to people, know that you are seeding love, you are seeding peace, because the people who even hid me, my my godparents were, were Hutu, but they hid me. So the kindness of people I saw on the way really became what made me not become a killer because uh, I could see, oh, I can be kind and this is the best way. So the feelings that the kindness and generosity of people that uh, and that, that, that came to me when people were generous and, and kind to me, those are the, that's the feeling actually that I wanted the people to have. But the wrong path I was on to say, well, I, if, I'm, if I become a killer, it would be my sense of making peace then the kindness and generosity of people made me to realize that that's actually the best way to make peace. Be kind, be nice. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, that has become my, my way of, of, of finding peace, which is actually the philosophy behind uh, Be the Peace as the organization I started in 2016. And can you talk about Be the Peace? It's a, uh, seeing what, what what happened and throughout my experiences and, and seeing that how we become politicized, how we become 
socialized at a very young age uh, from generation to generation from these experiences you can you can name all the countries how racism grows how how do we have still races racist racism ideology today how do we still have genocide ideology today how do we even today if we took every one who is probably uh, who have who have those um, so those ideologies and let's say they are no longer there we still have the seeds we become what we consume through generation and I say to be able to break the cycle of, of, of violence we only can do it by stopping transmitting trauma transmitting violence transmitting hate from older generation to younger generation. And that's what we have been doing. We, in Be the Peace in Rwanda, we have count, we have brought uh, hundreds of people who are survivors and perpetrators who confessed and, and finished their sentences and they accepted to come back in the community and they are now building, uh, they, we do community work, we do works, gardening, we do, um, they are not, we now started the I now started the microfinance for them, and they do it with their young, young children, daughters and son, and they, they bring them together, and we we have talks, we do that, and they do it together, and we talk about history, we talk about what they have done, and you know the results are amazing. We have seen people coming out and say, "Well, this is my first time sitting with the perpetrator." as a survivor this is my first time of confessing what i have done to the so it's it's really life-changing and and that's what we do and it's growing and i hope i i hope it's growing in many other different countries the u.s process have started so it's just to say the philosophy is to say peace is only what you give not what you ask others to do for you because when you give peace peace will ever be everywhere Oh, yeah, that's amazing. And you went to Rwanda in 2019, walked across the country in com commemoration. So you've done a lot. And you come all the way to Yale and you have your master's in sociology from Bristol. So congratulations for that. Amazing story. <laughs> um, and the book is available on Amazon. If you have Kindle Unlimited, you can read it. I read it through it. And where's the best place? Do you have a contact information or social media, Hippolyte? Yes, uh, so I have, I have, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter under my both names, Ipolita Nigurirwa, and uh, also, uh, you know, I can be reached out by email, which is, okay. you know, which is ipo.survivor at gmail.com. So, okay. yeah. I'll put that email in the show notes if people want to reach out to you or um, follow up or have any other additional questions. But uh, thanks so much for sharing your story. It's really, I mean, you've had an amazing life and uh, you're very fortunate to come out the other side. So again, it's Hippolyte Integura Irwa. Last name is spelled N-T-I-G-U-R-I-R-W-A. And the book is A Boy Called Hippo, Genocide Against the Tutsi in Rwanda. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, William, and keep the good work you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Thanks. stay there. Stay there. Stay there.